Luke chapter 19. Can you hear me? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ian, very much indeed. Great. Um, do please, if, if you've got them to hand, uh, keep a Bible uh, open at Luke at 19. Uh, we'll be referring to that uh, a few times. Uh, it's on uh, page 1053. Now, I reckon that uh, being curious, being curious has got easier and harder simultaneously in the last 10 years. Easier, obviously, because of our connectivity. Uh, do you remember going to look something up in an encyclopedia? <laughs> do you remember that? I kind of do it just occasionally for nostalgic reasons. Uh, but of course, the encyclopedia is out of date, and so you have to then go and look elsewhere. Uh, I notice, and maybe you do too, in meetings or in gatherings, that if someone mentions a song or a thing that happened or a place, uh, within a minute, two or three people uh, have found it on their phone and are sort of showing it round. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I think I love the fact that we can find so many interesting things out almost immediately. Whereas when I was a kid, and maybe when you were a kid too, you'd have had to have gone to the library or gone to the neighbour that had a, a particularly interesting encyclopaedia. But here's the catch. It might be easier to follow our curiosity. It's much harder to understand what to be curious about because so many different things are competing for our attention. Which of the hundreds of headlines or pieces of clickbait that drop onto your phone or your iPad or your tablet today are you going to follow up? Because there will literally be hundreds. It's quite likely, unless you've got cast iron self-discipline, that it's going to be something superficial. 
something that counts as leisure time rather than discovery time. So we end up today being mildly curious about many things and people that don't really matter, and we let the big ideas and the important things slide away. So just for a moment, give yourself a curiosity rating from one to 10. Where would you stand on the scale of one is nothing, 10 is hyper-curious? Where do you put yourself? And then what are the things that you've recently been curious about and wanted to delve into? Now, Luke doesn't tell us what ignited Zacchaeus' curiosity. He simply says Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus had lots of things to be curious about. He had notoriety. He had huge followings. He had enthusiastic supporters. And Jesus was known, as we've seen in this series, for flouting the religious traditions of his time, of exclusive hospitality, and of being holy by being withdrawn and judgy. Jesus was even known to like tax collectors. Now, we're going to look through the passage twice this morning, both times looking at the themes of curiosity and determination. Let's look at it first from Zacchaeus's point of view. In verse 2, we see that he was a social and community outcast. Now, he wasn't an outcast at the bottom of the pile, but he was an outcast at the very top of the pile. He was an elite cheat that everyone despised but couldn't avoid, all because he was a chief tax collector. And his isolation was deepened by his resulting huge wealth, wealth gained at the expense of others. This reminds us that for Jesus, wealth, and particularly big wealth, was more often a problem that can be overcome with grace and love rather than the fantastic starting point in our favor that many of us have come to see it as. But his response, Zacchaeus' response, was to simply go where he knew Jesus was. He wanted to find out more, so he went to where he knew Jesus was. In verse 3 we're reminded that he's short. And some of you will have sung songs about this at Sunday school in the past. But because he's short and because of who he is, social elite cheat outcast, because he's so instantly recognizable, the crowd are going to cut him no slack. They're not going to invite him to the front, however enthusiastic he is. So Zacchaeus' response is that he goes ahead of the crowd he climbs a tree on Jesus' route, and he thinks, this is a great anonymous viewing point. At least he might see Jesus close up. He might even hear some of the things that Jesus has said. And, and he thinks, that will be enough to satisfy my curiosity. Everything hinges then around verse 5. Jesus surprisingly saying to him, I must stay at your house. It's a powerfully personal image, but it shouldn't be one that surprises us this far into Luke's gospel. But what was Zacchaeus to do? Jesus has issued the most personal and public of self-invitations to lunch. 
This was considerably more than Zacchaeus had planned for, way more personal than discreetly observing Jesus from a tree. Now it's the prospect of the two of them, one-to-one, for lunch. And Zacchaeus' response is to invite Jesus back for lunch. Can you imagine what he was thinking in trepidation on the way back to his home? I think there'd been that whole mixture of that intense vulnerability. What, what is Jesus going to say to me? But also that sense of, of surprised joy that he was going to have lunch with the person that he'd been so curious about, but also nervous about where the conversation would turn. Now, we'll come back to the meal in a moment. Let's first look at what happens after the meal. In verse 7, we hear that during and after the meal, there is criticism and muttering from all the people. They've, they're moved by jealousy and by resentment. And, and we get it. Zacchaeus was a traitorous cheat. And I think the people felt that Jesus was their guy. He was the people's guy, not the, the elite cheats person. Now, this could have shut Zacchaeus up, or it could have pushed him back to his old ways. Uh, but he keeps going. And his response is to go ahead and to make this big announcement of restoration anyway. And in verse 8, we see that his joyful, this generous start to life as a Christian disciple, having listened to and spoken with Jesus, he responded justly and generously. Now, I'm sure that there were many other things in his life, in the days and the months and the years that came after, that needed to be put right. But he does make this astonishingly strong start. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how long Zacchaeus has been watching and waiting and yearning to meet with Jesus. But that, that watching and the waiting puts me in mind of a, of a quote from one of my uh, favorite novelist, uh, Douglas Coupland, uh, who in one of his novels, one of his characters says this, my secret is that I need God, that I am sick and can no longer make it on my own. My secret is that I need God, that I'm sick and can no longer make it on my own. I'm sure that Zacchaeus would have really chimed with that, as many of us would have in the past. But as you've probably spotted already, Luke isn't just telling a story of Zacchaeus' curiosity and determination. This is even more fundamentally a story of Jesus' determination and compassion. Jesus' bare-faced self-invitation to lunch with Zacchaeus unveils his true identity and mission, and it should be an enormous encouragement to each of us here. So let's go back and look at the passage through Jesus' eyes. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is often on the move. Now, of course, Jesus withdrew and he prayed on his own and with others, and there were just times when he kicked back and relaxed. But the Gospels often portray a restless urgency in Jesus. There are new people that I need to be with today. He's on the move. And in verse 5, we're reminded that Jesus loved a crowd. He loved being with a crowd and teaching a crowd. But so many of the high points of Jesus' ministry are one-to-one 
face to face as they are here. Now Luke doesn't tell us whether Jesus had known about this appointment with Zacchaeus uh, for some time or whether literally it came to him or was revealed to him in the moment. What we do know is the seriousness and the intense and the intense intimacy of his opening words to Zacchaeus. Jesus sees all the barriers that Zacchaeus has overcome. And he sees the determination and the courage that curiosity has required. Jesus sees Zacchaeus' rich but empty life. He sees Zacchaeus' resourcefulness. Jesus sees him. But he doesn't see just a rich, miserable, thieving traitor. He sees a lost son of Abraham who needs to be restored, who is worthy of compassion. And that's why his message to Zacchaeus is urgent and personal. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. We overhear, so to speak, Jesus' determination to restore this dear man in Zacchaeus' response. Jesus must have laid it on the line with Zacchaeus that his cheating and his manipulative ways needed to stop. And if we were in any doubt, Jesus confirms all of this in what he says so directly to Zacchaeus in verses 9 and 10. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham too, lost and confused, yes, but someone made in the image of God. He essentially repeats what we read a few weeks ago in Luke 5, 32. Do you remember when he calls Levi? Jesus says, I have not come. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this time, he, he frames the same thought in terms of his mission, where he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is how God is on earth, seeking and saving and restoring and bringing people back. I've realized, as I've been looking at this passage this week, I've realized once again that I think I'm at my happiest with the spiritually curious. And here are some of the things that I've learned over the years for any spiritually curious people who are here today, or if you have friends who are spiritually curious. The first one, it's really good to honestly ask why you're curious. Often this kind of curiosity starts with a need or with an experience of wonder and joy or of a sense of lack of something missing. But wherever it starts, it, it always quickly opens up and opens out into something far deeper and greater and more wonderful. And if that is you or people that you know, don't be scared. Don't give up. Press on. Press in. The second thing is, it will, like Zacchaeus, take your determination and your vulnerability and your openness to being challenged and you're listening carefully to Jesus, it would require all of those things if it's worth it. And it does. So be ready to be determined and vulnerable and challenged. Thirdly, 
Jesus is determined to restore you and to bring you back. He wants your friendship. He wants you to be reconciled with God and neighbor. And we have the privilege of being in an even better position to see this than even Zacchaeus was because we know post-cross, post-resurrection, we know the depth and the reach of the resolute love of Jesus. So as we go into this process, this journey of spiritual curiosity, we need to remember that Jesus is even more determined to restore us and win us back than we are to find him. And then here are some of the common milestones that I've seen in myself and I see in others. And maybe you need to check your progress or the progress of people that you're sharing faith with. The first milestone, I think, is often the shocking realization that the gods that you are reaching out to, sometimes blindly, sometimes not really knowing how to do it, but the God that you're reaching out to is actually coming to find you and wants to commune deeply with you. If you've read C.S. Lewis's uh, spiritual autobiography, that is the, the realization that he comes to, all the seeking, all the searching. And it's almost like God has crept up behind him and said, here, I have come to find you. The second milestone is often a change of heart, seeing ourselves differently, seeing God differently, and a change of heart that is often uh, to do with saying sorry and realizing that we've got lost and we've wandered down some blind alleys. The third is feeling compelled to start to put things right. So issues of restoration and justice and reconciliation come in, that as we experience being reconciled with God through Jesus, we begin to feel that we need to start doing some of that reconciling and restoring with people around us. The next thing is that on the back of that, we begin to live a new life in the community. Have you ever thought about what happened after this passage? You know, I presume that Zacchaeus moved house. He'd given away half his wealth. I presume he probably had to get a new job. And I wonder how he went about getting on with his neighbors, the people that he cheated and repaid. There was still going to be some heavy-duty awkwardness in those relationships. It must have taken further determination and patience on his part. And I think the last stage of this journey of spiritual curiosity, the last milestone, is that we begin to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us. That's the last milestone. We get to this place where we are no longer despairing of other people. We're no longer looking down on them. We're no longer solely judging them and finding them wanting. But we are seeing them as daughters and sons of Abraham that we know Jesus wants to restore and we know Jesus wants to reconcile with God. This is a beautiful journey. And I presume that almost everybody here is somewhere on that journey. So be encouraged by Jesus' determination 
to restore you and be motivated that all of us here potentially have a part to play in addressing and encouraging and answering and directing the spiritual curiosity of those around us. And as you heard on the video, this next month is an absolutely fantastic time to do that. But if over the next month you would describe yourself today as somebody who is in the early stages of spiritual curiosity, please come and get me, come and grab me, let's have a coffee, let's talk about what it means to be spiritually curious.